Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by www.livinglies.wordpress.com, GTC Honored, and The Garfield Firm, serving all 50 states with news and analysis of the latest bank scams against borrowers, homeowners, consumers, and investors, and providing legal representation throughout Florida. This program is for general information only. It is not a solicitation for services or legal representation and should never be used as a substitute for advice from a licensed professional. And now, here's world-renowned financial expert, attorney, and blogger, Neil Garfield. Garfield, and this is Thursday, July 21st, 2016. Tonight, by popular demand, we have a different format, which is devoted solely to question and answer. You can ask any question you want, as long as it isn't personal. And remember, this session is not legal advice on your specific situation. I can give you my general impressions, but before you act on what you hear tonight, hire or consult with an attorney who is licensed in the jurisdiction in which your property is located or where the transaction occurred. When you do get on the phone, make sure you're in a quiet place where you will have no distracting sounds. Remember what I've told you before, that there's no magic bullet that will suddenly set you free of your half-baked mortgage. It might have been possible 10 years ago to make this right with a few swift moves, But things have become so convoluted that if you want to clear up a problem, it needs to be done in several steps. I'm broadcasting live from Broward County, Florida, brought to you by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, Lending Lies, Amgar, and the Garfield Firm in South Florida. And this show is specially brought to you because of donations to the Living Lies blog from listeners like you. Thank you. And for those of you who are not contributors, we ask that you hit the donate button on the Living Lies blog or call 202-838-6345, which is our new main number, and pledge whatever you think you can afford. If this show has value for you, if the blog has value for you as a resource, then please make a contribution to help us continue helping you and all consumers. Okay, so let's get started with the first questioner, uh, area code 606, first three digits, 315. What is your question? Hi, I'm in Kentucky. I'm in a judicial state. I think you're having trouble unmuting yourself. I think you have to hit star six. Okay, hang on. Hello? Can you hear me now? Do you have Yes. Do oh. you have a question? Okay. I do, sir. I'm in Kentucky, a judicial state. I won my uh motion for summary judgment against Wells Fargo. However, Good. the judge well I guess, but 
the judge immediately ordered a jury trial. Um, he said it, the hearing, the, the pretrial hearing is August the 4th. Um, this was, this occurred the middle of June, and I have tried since then to get information out of Wells Fargo, and they let me know as of Monday this week they're not going to comply with any discovery. So now I'm stuck. I can't go to the uh, pretrial hearing because I can't submit any more evidence once that hearing takes place. I need uh, to get know what, what did you get summary what did you get summary judgment on? I didn't get it. They were trying to get summary judgment against me in my foreclosure. Uh, okay. So they lost summary judgment and then the ju- judge set it for trial and he's making it a jury trial. Is that Correct. right? Yeah. And now However, you've got You've got a, a pre-trial as... conference coming up, and at that pre-trial conference, uh, you're supposed to present what your exhibits are going to be, and you can't get the exhibits because they refuse to comply with your discovery requests. And exactly. while I don't practice in Kentucky, um, right. I, uh, I I will presume for the purposes of this conversation that it has basically the same rules in a judicial foreclosure as we do here. If somebody doesn't uh, comply with uh, discovery, we send in a motion to compel the discovery along with a little memorandum on why the items we have asked for, the answers we've asked for, or the production, uh, why they are important. So we... Uh, uh, I think what what you're uh, in the midst of is a procedural battle. You should get the assistance of counsel, and you should also uh, uh, make sure that you battle this out on discovery because in many cases where the judge enters an order favorable to, to the borrower, in this, the other side will suddenly make an offer or collapse or even go away. So that is my suggestion to your question. Okay. Do I need to file a continuance as well or just the motion to compel? I, in all probability, a Kentucky lawyer would tell you to file a motion for continuance as well, depending upon when the trial date is. So um, uh, the the answer most likely is yes uh, for that, and there may be other motions that you want to file uh, potentially depending upon what has happened uh, procedurally in the case, including potentially a motion for sanctions and such. So um, that pretty much covers what your question is, right? Right. All right. So okay, next we will. You're welcome. And next we will go to area code nine two zero, first three digits two one nine. What is your question? Hello. hello. I have. I, I. Hello. Are you there? I'm here. Hello. Okay. So my question is: I'm in Chapter Thirteen. Got a loan modification. And when the loan modification came through, Deutsche Bank is the trustee, but 
they name FPS as the servicer in the loan mod, and the investor number is not Deutsches, it's Chase, who's the master servicer. Okay. Is, should it be a concern? Well, you're, okay. I said to, to make the question. Deutsch also is the one. Yeah, what what you've got there is uh, a, a situation in which Deutsch is really window dressing as a trustee for a trust that probably does not exist. Um, and Chase is the master servicer, according to the pooling and servicing agreement, that is the trust agreement for the trust that has nothing in it. The case, in turn, uh, uh, may have. Uh, who was the originator on the loan? Oh, I don't remember now. Novastar. Novastar. Okay. Okay. It's a sound It's a sound deal loan trust. Say that again. I didn't hear you. It's a Soundview home loan trust. Okay. So. What what you're dealing with here is that the real party in interest here is uh, probably Chase. And Chase has been making uh, what are called servicer advances to investors who thought their money went into the trust, but it didn't. And kind of like a Ponzi scheme. Correct. So... The the advances have come from the investor's own money. So they're not really advances, and they don't come from the servicer. Uh, but there's a provision in the pooling and servicing agreement that says that the master servicer can recover servicer advances, and those payments that were made to the investors were called servicer advances. Now, that's why they're going to push for foreclosure because that's a whole bunch of money that they didn't spend, but they can say that they did, and then take it out of the proceeds of the sale of your your property. And right. I got the judgment dismissed. You got what dismissed? I got the judgment dismissed. Okay. Um, my, I guess my biggest, I have an attorney, and, and he bucks me on this one, is in December the bankruptcy court ordered uh, Deutsch to amend their proof of claim. They amended their proof of claim in February, but in December they issued me a 1099 for $270,000, but when they filed their amended claim in February in the bankruptcy court, it still showed that 270 on there. Okay. I think that the, the 270 is a false claim, and if they issued you a 1099 for it, um, uh, you could respond to the IRS saying this party is not a creditor, they didn't lose any money, and they and the, that you are objecting to the filing of the 1099. I'm not sure if there's a form to contest a 1099, but I know that the IRS accepts letters that do that, 
and uh, uh, in all circumstances where I've heard that uh, occurring, the IRS backs off because if they try to enforce the 1099, they're basically going to have to prove that uh, that Deutsch was the real creditor, and that puts them in the position of proving what not even Deutsch can prove. So right. uh, my uh, uh, my recommendation in that circumstance in bankruptcy court is that you um, uh, pursue discovery, and um, uh, once you get an order, like I said to the last caller, that uh, uh, requires them to open up their books or t- or give you answers and produce documents that they don't want to produce because they can't actually identify the creditor because they don't know who it is, right. then then you will see uh, potentially a settlement or you may gain ground in order to file a wrongful foreclosure action. So uh, that's that's what I would suggest for you. Does that answer your question? Yeah, and thanks for bringing this back. It's It's nice to hear. Okay, thank you. Thank you, bye. And bye. And next we go to area code five zero one first three digits six one two. What is your question? Hi there, Neil. Um, yes. I uh, have a, I, I have a judgment that um, actually um, is about a year old. This this is a situation in which uh, the uh, Foreclosure action was filed past statute of limitations. The assignment uh, just about a week prior was uh, by Fremont Financial. This was in 2013, where they're out of business in 2008 per a uh, recent Florida case where I see, you know, there's proof of that. Um, I had questioned the assignment in, in the hearing, but uh, they just cruised right over it, as they typically do, and said I wasn't a party to that, couldn't, couldn't challenge it. The new California case gives me some capacity to do it. But um, the, and I'm sorry to make it a long question. Anyway, but based on the original complaint, um, it was filed past statute of limitations. As I said, first date of acceleration was 2007. They filed it in 2013, five more than five years past, and I won uh, a judgment uh, about a year later on a motion for summary judgment because it filed past that. Then they made a motion to reopen. Judge reopened it in violation of, of law. And uh, I went ahead and questioned subject matter jurisdiction when I had this final dispositive hearing then go my way. So what I want to ask you about is I'd had some advice from uh, a friend of mine who is a a proactive fighter, but I don't know how solid it is. He said he thinks I should sue the judge in federal court for actually acting without subject matter jurisdiction. And uh, they will probably be in a situation where they'll come to me and have to make some kind of a deal. I wanted to ask you if you think that makes sense or if I should just make some motion for them to, to knock off a, a void judgment and show them this new evidence that I have that the assignment was basically done by a dead man that couldn't have done anything. And that's that. Okay. Okay. The suggestion from your associate or friend uh, would be valid only in the Magic Kingdom after midnight. Yeah. I thought so. Um, most uh, most attorneys won't sue the judges, right? 
It's not just that. They're protected by, by immunity. It, it wouldn't matter whether you had the courage to sue them or not. You would lose mm-hmm. because unless you could show that that judge had something against you and was acting personally, okay. not irresponsibly as a judge, but personally against you, you don't have any case against him, and even that one's going to be weak. Got it. So, so that's probably a path to avoid. Yeah, I've been hearing these stories around the last uh, week or so that, you know, sue the judge, sue the uh, uh, um, insurance company that uh, uh, has a bond on the court and things like that. None of that is true. There's nothing in there. Yeah. Zero, in my opinion. Talk to a lawyer about it who's who's licensed in your jurisdiction. But that just doesn't, that won't float any boat, in my opinion. Got it. And it will make you look foolish, in my opinion. So, sure. So as to your second part of your question, uh, which is... Um, The wait a minute. Oh, okay. I was just getting a message on my board here. Okay. The second part of your question is is as to the void assignment. And you are a hundred percent correct that even over and there's a whole spate of cases that came from the Ninth Circuit and other places basically confirming even over and sending it back down with instructions to proceed according to even over. The Ivanova court basically said that the the cause of action for damages arises after the forced sale of the property. And they expressly yes. said that, they expressly said that this does not apply to property that is in foreclosure uh if it's based on a void assignment and it certainly doesn't apply to property that is uh, involved in what is called a preemptive uh, case where somebody is not behind and uh, sues in order to get the uh, 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 the name of the uh, creditor. And that might be an action in, in reformation. But the way that the courts are treating the Ivanova decision now obvious that if a void assignment was used and automatically yep. gives rise, as, he, as even Overcourt said uh, in California, uh, it automatically gives rise to damages, that a void assignment during foreclosure would be a very good defense. And the whole idea that a borrower doesn't have standing, supposedly, mm-hmm. to to challenge a a void document, which means that it is nothing. It is it, it, there was nothing to it when it was signed. There was nothing to it when it was recorded. There was nothing there. It's that, in your email today. It's beautiful. The, Sorry, the, I didn't mean the, to interrupt you. Yeah, the big the big question is whether you properly bring the action as a void assignment or if you mistakenly allege facts that that would indicate that you're claiming it's voidable 
because if there was something defective about it. The difference between the two is very simple. In the mm-hmm. case of, of an assignment, an assignment means nothing unless there was a transaction. If there was a transaction where the loan was purchased and sold and the assignment executed as part of that transaction, then the assignment under virtually all circumstances is not void, although it might be void a bull, and that's where the borrower can't you know, necessarily point out uh, potential causes of action by a, either the party assigning, we call that the assignor, or the party mm-hmm. receiving the assignment, we call that the assignee. So, um, uh, but in most of these cases, the assignment is void. It's void because there never was a transaction. And when you ask for, in discovery, uh, uh, documents show the transaction that is supposedly reflected on that assignment, Mm -hmm. the court is supposed to grant you that discovery because it's obvious that if the assignment was false, which in most cases it is, that there is no basis on which they could have filed the substitution of trustee in California. That's a non-judicial state. And no basis in which they could have, uh, where the new trustee could file a notice of default and notice of sale. Yeah, okay, perfect. Filing on behalf of a beneficiary, if they're filing on behalf of a beneficiary that does, or a named uh, party that they're saying is a beneficiary but is not a beneficiary because it never purchased the loan or the debt or the note or the mortgage, then the assignment is definitely void. It's nothing. And Perfect. So what I would recommend... Uh, uh, is that you go back to your lawyer and you make sure that he, she um, understands exactly what your circumstance is and let them give you an opinion in California as to how what I just said would apply to you. Oh, I follow. My case is actually in in Arkansas and per Supreme uh, Court case, MERS doesn't have capacity to make the assignment. My assignment was made by a company that, according to the um, FDIC, is out of business and and dead since 2008, and that's been presented in some Florida cases. And I figured I would just reference those and and just attack the void judgment and uh, then potentially sue the the plaintiff for uh, wrongful foreclosure slash fraud and the, the assigned, basically the, the servicer, SPS Servicing, plaintiff is U.S. Bank, servicers SPS Servicing, and uh, they're the ones that actually created this assignment. Um, they don't even try to say they're a VP for MERS, and, and certainly they don't try to say that they're in any capacity at, as uh, acting on behalf of Fremont, so it's kind of interesting. But are you, are you still just in the house? Uh, sorry. Oh no, no. They've already sold it. I have been harmed. <laughs> um, okay, it wasn't so the you, house that I that I lived in. So your action is for damages, abuse of process, wrongful foreclosure, uh, emotional distress, and so forth. 
uh, based on the fact that they committed fraud on the court. That's an easier mm-hmm. case than attacking the judgment directly. Because when you attack the judgment directly, either the same judge or another judge has to say that they were wrong. And judges don't like to do that. But if what you're saying if what you're saying is that the court was led to this conclusion based upon intentionally false representations to the court and you want damages from the defendants as a result of that and you spread out the defendants to everybody that was involved starting day one on the mortgage, um, uh-huh. then then you have multiple uh, uh, defendants that you're against and the possibility of them raising raised judicata, which is the matter's already been litigated, um uh, uh, against you in uh, in your case uh, right. becomes diminished, and the reason is that you're suing different people than the people. In addition to the people that 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 sued you for the foreclosure, you're suing additional people, and you've never litigated against them before, so they can't claim raising. Okay. I'm okay. Yeah. And that's going to put them at odds against one another at, at some level also. Well, maybe, but really from the information that I have, uh, almost all of this with all of the banks is under central management that is not apparent press. Mm-hmm. So decisions will be made on how to settle with you. And I can tell you from my own experience that, the settlements sometimes can be quite high if you present a credible threat with a very aggressive lawyer. Um, right. uh, the settlements can be as high as seven figures, but you will be under seal of confidentiality, which means that you won't be able to refer to this case or the fact that it was settled, much less what was in the settlement. Uh, but your neighbors might notice that you have a Rolls Royce parked out front. <laughs> that that perhaps is the most ideal set of circumstances we can ask for, I guess. Uh, I I personally didn't live in the house. I I bought it to save it for family. I preserved it for a while. They we we couldn't sell it based on circumstances. The the whole reason that I I duped this thing out on my own for the most part is that there are a lot of people who have been truly harmed by these evil criminals, pretender lenders and other expletives you might and, and may, many of us would use. So, yeah, I, I appreciate it. And and that was something that helps me quite a bit. I, I didn't actually have an attorney that, that, that did it. There's hardly anybody in the state of Arkansas that knows anything about foreclosure defense. And the ones that claim you to know. To? You know who you that? should go to? I, I'm listening. I'm definitely listening. If, if you try a uh, personal injury lawyer, uh-huh. They are used to litigation. They're used to going up against big financial institutions because there's always an insurance company involved. And right. my experience is that when people go to the personal injury lawyer and, and they find a way to get them interested in taking this, that mm-hmm. guy is looking. That guy is really looking for the most money that he can possibly get, and he right. generally he's going to do it mostly on contingency, if not entirely. 
Uh-huh. So if uh, it, it's a good idea to try that. If not, you can find some other lawyer and perhaps uh, schedule a consult with me with that lawyer on, and I'll try to sell them on taking the case. Well, All right? I, I like that idea. Yeah, I, I got one last thing to say. Um, I Because I just got the 1099-C not long ago, and I'm thinking that that 1099-C might actually give me a uh, an FDCPA cause of action. Right, right now I'm past statute of limitations on the Dunning letters I got, but I have an FDCPA cause of action for false and misleading uh, information. Yeah, there, I got to cut you. Yeah, I got to cut you off here. We're running out of time, but the answer is FDCPA claims are getting more and more traction. I recommend that people pursue that. And uh, amazingly, our time is up after only a few calls. Um, thank you, everybody, for joining me. Um, we might be back next week. I think I have to be. Thanks for listening to our broadcast. We hope that you tell your friends about us and let them know that there is hope and help in this financial crisis. Tune in every week to The Neil Garfield Show for free information and advice and visit our blog daily at The Living Lies Blog. We provide support services, the latest strategies, analysis, expert consultations, testimony and declarations to use in your battle against the largest economic crime in human history. For information concerning Neil, the team at Living Lies, or the law firm, go to www.livinglies.wordpress.com or call 520-405-1688. The opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the host and should not be attributed to any other person or entity.